A reading from Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Hi, everybody. I was just 10 years old when I was required to memorize the first two verses of today's reading from Romans chapter 12. I was at a church camp located on Spofford Lake near Keene, New Hampshire, not too far down the road from where Nancy and I will soon be living. It was back in the days when children weren't allowed to go swimming for an hour after eating their lunch for fear you would get cramps and drown. So they made that hour after lunch into a quiet time in our cabins, during which we were asked to work on memorizing Bible verses. That camp was, and still is, a property of the Evangelical Free Church, a denomination with historic Norwegian roots that had a congregation in our Staten Island neighborhood with a very active youth group, which my older brothers attended in no small part because of the interesting girls they had there. So that's how I ended up at that camp, which was different from my own church tradition. The free part of that evangelical free church's name indicated their proud historic freedom from and deep distaste for the Norwegian state church, which of course was Lutheran. So there I was a child of Swedish Lutherans, sent to a camp run by people who didn't think much of either Swedes or Lutherans. Memorizing a Bible verse about not conforming to the world around me, totally oblivious to the irony of all that, while my lunch settled in my stomach and when I, while I waited to go down to the beach. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, at the time, it didn't seem to matter as much that I understood what those words meant or implied as it mattered that I had them securely locked in my memory bank and that I could repeat them back word for word. 
One thing, though, that I did understand, based on what I was hearing at that camp, was that the words mostly applied to me, as an individual person. As a Christian, in particular, I was expected to live a life that was guided by a moral and behavioral standard that was noticeably different from most other people around me. That different way, however, tended to be described in mostly negative terms, focusing on things that I was to personally avoid or not otherwise do. Like using foul language, for example, or drinking anything with alcohol in it, or sexual behavior of most any kind, and a list of other things that, of course, it was assumed most non-Christians willfully and immorally did all the time. But my behavioral standards were supposed to be higher. I wasn't to conform to the behaviors and morals of other people. In the most practical terms for a 10-year-old boy, it didn't matter if every other kid in the neighborhood was allowed to do something. I probably wasn't. The standard response to that appeal, if I could, was always, well, if everybody else was going to jump off a bridge, would you want to do that too? No. I was supposed to be different. Being a Christian meant being willing to not conform to the world. Even if it made me seem odd to my peers, those peers I so desperately wanted to fit in with. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The problem, however, with memorizing Bible snippets like that, a problem that I learned about much later, probably not until I got to seminary, is that it ignores what should really be obvious, that these two verses are part of a much larger message. Just a couple of sentences in a long and carefully constructed letter that is telling a much bigger story. Kind of like a 15-second soundbite out of a 30-minute campaign speech or maybe a two-minute trailer for a two-hour movie. And when you pluck those snippets out of their wider context, you can easily misunderstand or just miss entirely what they are really intended to say. Most importantly in this case is realizing that these words were not at all guidance for an individual Christian, but part of a letter to a church. A letter about where that congregation, that Christian community came from, and what it was therefore called in the world to be. Paul wasn't concerned about me, not conforming to those heathens who lived down the block from me, and that I went to school with every day. He was concerned about the church that God had called into being through Christ, becoming a transforming presence in the world. This is, after all, a letter to a Christian community, a congregation of believers in Jesus that was in Rome, the capital and center of the Roman Empire, an empire that, like almost every other earthly empire that has ever existed, was ruled by power, threat, violence, and force, 
a place where wealth bought privilege and advantage, and surrounding smaller nations and peoples were subjugated, exploited, and mostly impoverished. That was the way of the world. You might say that is the way of the world. And after 11 chapters of telling them how God in Jesus Christ had redeemed and rescued them from sin and death and the powers of this world, including Rome, Paul was challenging that church to be what God had called it to be, a community that stood apart and against the prevailing culture, not just to be different from it or smugly or holier than it, but to actually change it, to transform it, into something more like the kingdom that God was bringing into being. A living witness and an example of that selfless love for God and neighbor that Jesus lived. A world in which the first would be last and the lowly lifted up, where the hungry are fed and the powerless are protected, and where differences of nation, race, class, and gender are all swept away. Paul was and is in these verses calling the church to be the living presence, the flesh and blood body of Christ in the world. Instead of what I assumed they meant, a personal message to me, those verses that I had so obediently memorized actually taught me that the first way that the church can transform the world is to get individual Christians like me to stop worrying about myself and my own holiness, and what God might think of me, and how I can compare myself to others and come out looking better, and to start instead engaging with and caring about those very same neighbors that I've been trying so hard not to conform to. Paul spent 11 chapters setting the stage for this snippet that I memorized. 11 chapters telling me that my salvation is complete in Jesus Christ, my individual life is secure, In fact, thanks to Jesus, my life, my eternal life, is no longer about me at all. As Paul would say in another of his letters, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's another verse I memorized somewhere along the way. The church exists not so much to change me, Certainly not to make my life smoother and easier, or even really more holy. But the church exists to give me a place, a community of people that can be a living, bodily, transforming presence in and for the world. The transforming presence of the risen Christ. And so when pastors like me and Pastor Josh, and I'm sure Pastor Sarah, come out of seminary and receive a letter of call from a congregation. We arrive filled with energy and commitment and training to lead that congregation, a body of the living Christ, in being that non-conforming yet fully engaged, transforming presence in and for the sake of their community and world. That's what we're geared up to do. That's what we're prepared to do, trained to do, motivated, called to do. 
fired up by Paul's image that immediately follows the two verses that I memorized of a human body that has many parts, each one having its own function and abilities. We set out understanding our job to be identifying those gifts in the people we're serving and engaging them more fully. Even as we seek new partners with needed gifts that might fill any of the gaps. And inevitably, as we go about that work, we discover the hard truth that when the morals and habits and systems of a prevailing empire and culture happen to benefit and work quite well for most people in our congregations, as they often do in well-off suburbs like this one, including the morals and habits and systems and traditions of the local church, then conforming and maintaining and managing what is quickly becomes a great deal easier and more highly valued and rewarded than trying to transform and change either the church you serve or the world around it. And especially at times like this when the world around our people is changing so fast and often so unsettlingly so, it's easy for the church to become for its members the bastion of changelessness, that one place where what's always been can still be found. So, in this time of all but overwhelming change in both church and world, including this congregation and including the retirement of a longtime pastor, it is worth remembering that the reason any of us are here is because God wants to change things. Because God has in Christ changed things. And because our mission is not to conform to what is or what has been, but to constantly transform, reform, and be the transforming body of Christ in the world. To use Paul's analogy, this is a congregation blessed with many good body parts, people who think with sober judgment, people who don't think of themselves more highly than they ought to. Not all people among us have the same function. Each one has gifts that differ, but you, who are many, even when a pandemic makes it incredibly hard to feel and act like it are still one body in Christ. So, dusting off a brain file that was memorized some 58 summers ago and that has more or less guided my ministry for the past 42 years. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies together as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable and perfect. Amen.